The scripture reading for today is taken from two different passages. The first that we'll be looking at is Ecclesiastes chapter 4, the verses 1 to 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, the verses 1 to 8. Then I returned and considered all the oppression that is done under the sun. And look, the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. On their side, on the side of their oppressors, there is power, but they have no comforter. Therefore, I praise the dead who are already dead more than the living who are still alive. Yet better than both is he who never existed who has not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. Again, I saw that for all toil and every skillful work, a man is envied by his neighbor. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. Better a handful with quietness than both hands full, together with toil and grasping for the wind. Then I returned and I saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone without companion. He has neither son nor brother, yet there is no end to all his labors, nor is his eye satisfied with riches. But he never asks, for whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This also is vanity and a grave misfortune. Now we'll turn together to Corinthians, the first letter to the Corinthian church. First Corinthians chapter 15, the verses 50 to 58. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruption has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in, is not in vain in the Lord. And that will be our text as we come into this new year. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord.
beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, today is New Year's Day. As we look back on 2020 and look forward to the year ahead, there can be mixed feelings. There are those for whom there was much reason for joy, becoming engaged, rejoicing in the birth of a covenant child, having big milestones that were celebrated, or other things that were reasons for joy, making headway in your walk with God, rejoicing in seeing your children draw closer to the Lord. But at the same time, there were challenges. And what a year 2020 was for challenges. COVID, lockdowns, and personal challenges as well. Did you ever wonder during all this time if the effort that you put into things was worth it during these times? Perhaps you wonder about the challenges that you face in days ahead. And you think back on the challenges and you think back on the reasons for rejoicing and maybe the challenges loom larger than the reasons for rejoicing in your mind. And you ask yourself the question, will this year be better than the last? We want to move into a new year with fresh hope once again. Is there hope that we can look forward to? It's a good question, a fair question, and it's one that is answered in our passage today as well. You see, when the Apostle Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, he was writing to a church that was no stranger to challenges. Their church was pretty divided, some claiming to follow Paul, others Apollos, others Cephas, when none of these men would have wanted factions named after them. If you look later in the chapters of 1 Corinthians, there were those who were advocating for celibacy. There were those who were advocating for the acceptance of immoral living as freedom under Christ. There would also have been other challenges that they faced. The regular challenges from day to day that come in Christian living. The church leadership would have faced challenges. Parents in the church raising their children. Young people looking ahead to what their future might hold. Grandparents who lifted up their loved ones in prayer. And questions would arise. Will their children be led astray in an immoral society? Will damage be done to Christ's church which, with all of these things that we see happening here in Corinth? They needed encouragement and hope in light of everything that was addressed earlier in the letter to the Corinthians. They needed the promise and reminder of not just a fresh start, but also a future. And that's what the Apostle Paul points them to in Christ. And so we'll look at that under this theme today, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. First we'll see, yes, this world looks dark, but secondly, there is an unshakable hope. Or another way that you could maybe think about this as we consider these two passages today is 
Life Under the Sun, S-U-N, and Life Under the Sun, S-O-N. Our text ends off with the words, Know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, here in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. These are beautiful and comforting words, and yet concerning, because there's an assumption built into it. And that assumption is that they feel that their labor up to this point has been in vain. Why would they feel that their labor is in vain? Well, it's because the world so often looks dark. Yes, the world looks dark. And the Apostle Paul doesn't sidestep the sadness of the situation of the Corinthian church. He spent much of the first part of this book, as we saw, challenging the sins of the Corinthians and the divisions. And his own situation isn't much better either. As he's writing to them, he's found himself in a pretty grim place. In chapter 4, verse 12, he doesn't beat around the bush pretending that the Christian life is easy. But instead, he says there, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. The Christian life has never been the promise of an easy life, although some might perhaps promise otherwise. When you commit to Christ, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and to bear the name of our Savior, there will be challenges that you face. The devil does all that he can to undermine that confession. He does all that he can to impress on you that the work that you are doing is in vain, that it is vanity of vanities, that it is a grasping after the wind. There are two ways that come up, come to, come to mind in particular as we glance back at the passage that we find in Ecclesiastes. In the first place, he can seek to intimidate and overwhelm by what you see in the world outside. Everything is too hopeless and too overwhelming. And in the second place, he can make any personal progress seem hopeless as well. So in the first place, as we consider that, we look at Ecclesiastes 4, the verses 1 to 4. And we are reminded that, humanly speaking, this is the situation of man. Humanly speaking, we do see much pain. Consider what the author of Ecclesiastes writes here. And look, the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. On the side of their oppressors, there is power, but they have no comforter. Therefore I praised the dead who are already dead, more than the living who are still alive. Yet better than both is he who has never existed, who has never seen the evil work that is done under the sun. What the author speaks of here is not just general oppression and pain. 
what he's talking about is the seemingly seeming futility of life that he sees all around. He is intimidated and overwhelmed by what he sees in the world outside. Have you ever reached a time when you saw what you felt was the futility of life on display? Not everyone's experienced this, but I know that some have. You've reached a low point and you see all of that oppression and you see all the pain in the world around and you wonder if all of the effort that you've put into it is worth it. Everything feels exhausting. You know the feeling that's expressed by the author of the book of Ecclesiastes. The teacher here of Ecclesiastes has tried everything under the sun to counteract this. Everything that this world has to offer. And he wrote about his experiences in this book. The author tried his drug of choice, using wine to cloud his thoughts and bring cheer to his life. He tried a whole array of women. He tried to find joy in amassing huge amounts of wealth. He tried finding satisfaction in the many great projects that he built. He tried to be happy in being the smartest person of everyone that he knew. He even tried in the projects that he built and in many of the other things that he was involved with to make life better for many people. You only have to look at the previous chapters of Ecclesiastes, however, to see how that turned out for him. Although he tried all of that, those actions alone were not enough to bring him joy. Though he reached the pinnacle of success in just about every field that he put his hand to, it just wasn't enough. It felt like it was all in vain. And he felt it all the more strongly now that he reflects on all the people that he wasn't able to help either. You see, the author of Ecclesiastes, whether it was King Solomon or not, there is some debate about that, but the author of Ecclesiastes was a king. And he's tried to make changes in his kingdom. Yet he still hasn't been able to fix people. He still hasn't been able to change hearts and minds. Again, look at verse 1 of Ecclesiastes 4. And look, the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. On the side of their oppressors, there is power. There are still oppressors under his rule. There are still those who have power over the oppressed and who don't see their tears. The author of Ecclesiastes seems to have failed, toiling and grasping after the wind, as it says in verse 6, without much success. This oppression and pain that the author is talking about isn't a general, generic oppression and pain. But it's oppression and trouble that carries on despite his best efforts. And his gut reaction to all of this, all the evil and sorrow that he sees, it just exhausts him. At, the, at least the dead, he feels, don't have to deal with the exhaustion, the evil, and the misery anymore. Better than the dead who still had to experience life are perhaps those who didn't even have to experience anything at all. The ones who never existed, who never experienced all the brokenness and futility that this world has to offer. 
Now, in our text, in the letter to the Corinthian church, it would have been very easy for the Apostle Paul to feel the same way. For him to feel intimidated and overwhelmed by all that he saw in the world outside. For him to feel that all of this was vanity of vanities. There were still huge problems even after his best efforts. After all that he had done and suffered, after all that he had sacrificed for the Corinthian church and the other churches alongside, he still had to write a letter that dealt with so much pain, sorrow, and brokenness. Recognizing the temptation towards throwing up your hands in such a situation, recognizing the temptation to consider it as vanity, the discouragement regarding the brokenness of the world despite our best efforts is one aspect of that vanity that his words today can address. Recognizing that the devil so often seeks to intimidate by suggesting that all of the work that you've done has so little impact. In the second place, the devil not only tries to intimidate and overwhelm by what you see in the world outside, but he can also try to undermine the progress that you've made through discouraging you personally in that way as well. If we're looking at a, for a practical example of this, we only have to carry on in the book of Ecclesiastes. Add verse 4 to what we read in the first three verses. There we read again, I saw that for all toil and every skillful work, a man is envied by his neighbor. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. Not only did the author's best efforts still result in there being oppression under his rule and many people who have no comforter, but his successes in other areas resulted in nothing more than the envy of neighbors. It's a hard thing to reflect on, but one which is so often true if you dwell on the sorrows of life. Looking back on this past year from one perspective, from one point of view, you can very easily see all of your failures. Despite your best efforts to be joyful, you still struggle with sorrow. Perhaps you still find yourself caught in sin or the consequences of your own sin or other sin despite your work. And in addition, in some cases, people don't recognize the progress that you have made or it's possible that they even become resentful or even envious of that progress like we find in verse 4 in those areas where you feel that you have progressed. And after all of that, it can feel like a grasping after the wind, like you're trying to hold on to something that just slips away. Moving ahead to the situation that the Corinthian church found themselves in, we can see the temptation towards this very same feeling of futility regarding what we consider to be our personal successes or failures. The Apostle Paul himself as well, when he was making headway in the church, had people trying to undermine him, becoming envious of him and his authority. And so they formed factions behind other leaders that they found more to their liking. That came up in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 
both the futility that you can feel when you look at everything that you see in the world that happens despite your best efforts, and the futility that you feel when you look at things personally as well, and the attempts that you make to progress. God acknowledges these feelings. He recognizes that they are real. And he brings us words of comfort. God acknowledges these feelings of vanity by leading the Apostle Paul to remind the people of Corinth that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Yes, so often we can see more of the things that we've missed or the places of your work or life that still need to grow or even feel like your making headway is futile because it just brings more conflict into your life or more difficulty on you. God knows. And he speaks to you tenderly. He patiently calms you. He quietly encourages you. He says, take heart. Take heart. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And to reinforce this, he reminds us of a beautiful truth with the rest of our text for today. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And this brings us to our second point. There is an unshakable hope. In the Lord. As we look ahead to the new year, I want you to notice the difference between how labor is described here in 1 Corinthians 15 and in Ecclesiastes 4. And as we look back on the past year as well. There is a sharp difference in perspective between Ecclesiastes 4 and 1 Corinthians 15 here. In Ecclesiastes 4, you can very much see that it's the teacher's own experience under the sun that he's referring to. For all that I've done, all of the efforts that I've put in there, still injustice under the sun. And again, even when I get ahead, I seem to be in danger of getting dragged backwards. But here, it is labor that is done with me at the forefront of my mind. How will I get ahead? That makes it seem like vanity. The teacher of Ecclesiastes would know. He's accomplished a lot in his life. A lot of it with himself at the forefront of his mind in the earlier parts of his book and in the earlier parts of his life that he reflects on there. Work done with just the perspective of how does this serve me? What do I get out of this? How do I get ahead? That's not going to get us far. And that's why we need the comfort that comes with the change of our mindset when it comes to our daily labor. In fact, we're called to change our mindset when it comes to everything that we put our hands to. And that change of mindset begins with knowing who we are and the purpose of our labor. 
that we are in the Lord. And the Apostle Paul begins in our text today to draw our attention to that with the word, therefore. Therefore, my beloved brethren, know that your labor is not in the vain in the Lord. Therefore. Only four little letters in Greek, but what a large impact such a small word can make on the verse that follows. It draws our attention to all that came before in the letter to the Corinthians. We read a little bit of that, and as you look further back, you can see it being drawn to the forefront. The power of God, the riches of His glory, the depths of His mercy, the totality of His victory. How different our situation is in Christ. You see, in the verses that came before our passage in particular, chapter 15 here, the apostle spoke both of the necessity of the resurrection as well as proving the fact of the resurrection for his beloved brothers and sisters in Corinth. And he knew that the truth of Christ's resurrection changes everything for the Corinthians. Yes, events that happened could have made their work from their own perspective seem like vanity. But it's not vanity. It's not hopeless. Therefore, in light of everything that has come to pass, in light of the resurrection and the glories of Jesus Christ, what he has done for us, how he has laid claim to us, and the new goal that he has put in our hearts, the goal of the advancement of his kingdom, and the goal of that final day when everything will be renewed, the dead shall be raised incorruptible. Therefore, one commentator says this, having satisfied himself that he had sufficiently proved the doctrine of the resurrection and all the glories that came with it, he now closes his discussion with an exhortation. And this has much more force than if he had made use of a simple conclusion. Beginning with, therefore, and carrying on in his call to the Corinthian church has now much more force because of that little word which draws their hearts and minds back to the glories that he just spoke of. Their unshakable hope, the fact of Christ's resurrection, gives them confidence for the future as well. It gives them a solid foundation to stand on, to build on as they move forward. It gives them the knowledge that what they're building is not just something that's vanity, a grasping after the wind, but it's their little corner of God's great kingdom work. It's their little corner of God's eternal plan that is unfolding through others and through them. And our God will use even their setbacks to advance his plan. Some might look back and ask, but what about the pain and oppression that we see all around us, despite our best efforts? Maybe you elders can feel this way in particular. 
What about those we see trapped in cycles of sin and in unhelpful or unhealthy patterns, even after all the effort and love that we poured into them? What about the oppression mentioned in the first part of Ecclesiastes, despite our best efforts? The oppression of circumstance, the oppression of others, the oppression of sin. Yes, another commentator writes regarding the troubles of life under the sun in Ecclesiastes. The world is full of trouble. By reason of man's perversity, if he is ever disturbed and perplexed by social conditions around him, if Christ and the hope of heaven were not taken into account, then, as the author of Ecclesiastes says, to die as soon as possible would be desirable. End quote. But we do have Christ and the hope of heaven. The knowledge that this oppression will be brought to an end and the knowledge that the work that God is carrying out through us is advancing His kingdom and is drawing this period, this era of oppression and pain and misery to a close. Those Christians who do believe yet struggle with the chains of addictions to different things whom we walk alongside will be freed. Not through our efforts, not through the love and the patience and the effort that we pour into them, but through the work of Christ which comes to its glorious climax, which comes to its most glorious end and a new beginning at the end of days. We're working in the midst of that. Even when we see that oppression and all those struggles around us, we are working, pointing each other ahead to a day a day which has been made ours through Jesus Christ. A new day which has been firm, made firm for us through his resurrection. We are working, pointing each other ahead to a day when we will be completely loosed from the chains of our old natures. When we look forward to an eternity in which we will be free. Free. The burdens of sin lifted, the weights which we groan under and grieve over as we walk alongside brothers and sisters whom we love, we will also rejoice just as much as they are when they are set free alongside us completely and forever. That, therefore, changes our whole perspective on life. That work in the Lord changes our whole point of view. We don't live life under that sun anymore, but we live life under the sun. Oh, what a morning, gloriously bright when we see our redemption in full. That is what we work towards. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Yes, it might seem, it might feel like we're spinning our tires in the mud sometimes, humanly speaking. 
sometimes going ahead, sometimes even sliding backwards as our tires spin forwards. Yet we continue to press on in the Lord for the sake of his name and his call to us. And because we belong to him and we are a part of something much bigger than ourselves that is advancing unstoppably throughout the ages and throughout this world. He bought us with his death. He sealed it to us with his resurrection and with his ascension and with his session at the right hand of God. He made us his own and he made us a part of something greater. This year in 2021, we press on in the Lord as we parent, as we live as spouses, as we work with our hands, as we draft plans, and as we lead teams and work crews. This year in 2021, we press on in the Lord as we look for a spouse, as we prepare for our future beyond high school, as we prepare meals at home and are involved with our children from day to day. We press on in the Lord, submitting every corner of life to him and pleading with him to use it in his kingdom. Yes, this part of my life too. Yes, that part too. And also that part over there. Pleading with him to use it in his kingdom to the advancement of his glory. Because we know that our labor in the Lord, it will never be in vain. This is the hope and joy of life under the Son, the Son of God. We press on excited for the day when we will hear the words of our resurrected Savior, well done, my good and faithful servant. And we eagerly press him for more to do in this life in the meantime, for more areas in which his glory can shine through, even through the simple things. That's why the words in the Lord change everything for the people of God in Corinth and the people of God today. And that's also why that little word, therefore, at the beginning, changes everything for the people of God, tying them to something much greater. Ecclesiastes, yes, that was the original situation under the sun, but that doesn't matter. We're new people in Christ. The Lord's work is still moving forward. And our setbacks often become vehicles by which he brings his success. Consider Joseph, sold into slavery, who would never have risen to the position of Pharaoh's second and the savior of his family if he hadn't been. Consider Christ himself, who brought victory through what was thought to be his ultimate defeat. Consider that and rejoice as you look ahead to this coming year, even in the setbacks of a life that is in the Lord. Because such a life and such works are never in vain in the Lord. This year, seek a life in which you seek to submit everything to our resurrected Lord, to trust and obey be steadfast, immovable, as our text says. Not on the basis of how this past year went, not on the basis of how the future might seem to look, 
not on the basis of the hopeful predictions of the news cycle or of the situation that surrounds us or whether or not we feel our skills will be valued or if they'll just be envied by our neighbor like the author of Ecclesiastes felt, but on the basis of Jesus Christ. Be steadfast and immovable in the Lord. Because in Him alone will we find that meaning and satisfaction of a work that is truly not in vain. A work with eternal consequences and joys. Not living life under the sun in vanity, but always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. In that... Though the devil tries to tell the Christian it's in vain to discourage him, Christ tells us that he has already been victorious over death. And he's the one that gives us this new life, new purpose, new meaning. A life filled with rich meaning and eternal dividends. A life that has its roots in eternity. He is the foundation that makes us steadfast. When we fix our eyes on Him, remembering all that He bought us to, He makes us immovable despite setbacks. He makes us steadfast, knowing even through setbacks and uncertainty that He is advancing His kingdom. Praise God. To him alone be the glory as we enter 2021 in life under the sun. Amen.